This episode of the Bellator Christie podcast will discuss biological reproduction, which may make this episode unsuitable for younger listeners. Parental guidance is suggested. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Ronan, Montana, and Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, this is the Bellator Christie Podcast, and uh, we're coming to you A-Team style tonight for our second edition of our Christology series, and we want to uh, read to you our passage of scripture to start off the podcast, this one coming from Luke chapter 1, verse 46, where Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. We're all, we're, we're all superheroes on the, on the A-team of, of Jesus here, so... <laughs> we always come out the winner with this one, just kind of like, you know, Mr. T with his gold chains back in the day. <laughs> like I pity the uh, <laughs> Couldn't resist that one, huh? Couldn't resist. <laughs> well, there's that. So, anyway, we're we're uh, we're in part two of our uh, Christology, our our series that we're we're doing here. Um, our so. I hope you guys caught the uh, the first uh, the first part of it, the part one, and it's it's such a great foundation to get started on and to get understanding and to get some uh, get some knowledge about what we're talking about here. So if if you have questions or whatever, um, go back and listen to it, or, or if you've already listened to it and you uh, have questions about that, um, email us and and we'll we'd be glad to walk through with some of that. Brian, it, we just had a new member of Bellator Christie. You want to go ahead and introduce that and uh, kind of give us maybe a little bit of background, and then we'll just get rolling right into the episode. Yeah, absolutely. It's a it's a joy and honor to announce that Dr. Daniel Merritt uh, has joined our Bellator Christie team as a contributor. Uh, he has written a lot of articles and so it's like i even told him the other day i said uh, you know don't think that every article you submit has to be a new one because he's already posted some great stuff out there on his website so uh interestingly he is uh he's no stranger to bellator christie uh, in fact uh, one of the articles he wrote on voltaire about the history of voltaire uh, was the number two most read article last year so 
it only stands to reason that he joined the Bellator Christie team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, he is the uh, Director of Missions for Surrey Baptist Association uh, here in uh, Surrey County, North Carolina. Uh, he's been a pastor for numerous years, and uh, he's a graduate of uh, Northwestern University, I believe it is, uh, Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary over close to Raleigh and uh, many other places. So it's a joint honor to have uh, Dr. Merritt with us on the team. I feel like mm-hmm. he's already been part of the team unofficially already as a guest contributor, so it's good to have him on board. Yeah, yeah. Man, what a team we're stacking up. Then we got the this 18. This is getting to be... This is getting to be pretty incredible. I feel like the, you know, like the, like the hub of the, of the whole thing, you know, just because it's like, I I hear, I hear you talk about this and this and this, and I'm trying to connect the dots, you know, to where, where they all go and where they all come from and where they've been, you know, and, um, man, it is pretty cool. Pretty neat seeing this. And and there's a possibility we may add one or two more contributors uh, here before too long. So stay tuned. We may have more coming to our team, the A-team. That's awesome. That's (laughs) all I can think of is the van jumping through. Oh, my goodness. And they get one of those big cigars like uh, the the guy had. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. (laughs) We ain't that bad. (laughs) But we can pretend we are on TV. Uh, yeah, face for radio. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> oh my goodness. So anyway, so let's get jumping right into this Christology part two: the Virgin Birth and the Incarnation of Christ. So when we speak of the Virgin Birth, are we we are speaking of? the virgin conception. So what do we mean by the virgin conception? Yeah, so, you know, when we talk about the virgin birth, we're, we're, and here's why that we put the disclaimer on this, because of some of the content we're going to discuss tonight. Uh, when we talk about virgin conception, we're talking about there was no sexual intercourse that happened between Mary and someone else. Uh, now, some people even tried to say, well, maybe she was raped by a Roman soldier or something like that. Some of the adversaries of Christianity said early on. But we see in Matthew chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, Joseph woke up. Mm-hmm. He did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, being married, but he did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. So there was no intercourse that happened when Jesus was born, which truly makes this a miraculous birth. The miraculous birth came from the fact that there was no intercourse leading to the conception of Jesus. It was a miraculous thing that happened all the way through. And just to just to kind of maybe clear up, um, not only just the virgin birth, but the incarnation of Christ— when we're talking about incarnate, we're talking about uh, in in flesh. In right? flesh, that's right. So when we talk about Jesus being God incarnate, we're talking about God coming in the flesh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we that's understand good. and recognize the fact that here's one of the complicated things as we move through this. One of the complicated things is we understand that Jesus had a united divine human nature, as we t- discussed last week, but. He didn't really take on a physical body until he was conceived in the womb. Uh, otherwise, you'd have a body, you know, <laughs> infiltrating another yeah. body. Uh, but but it was yeah. uh, that's one of the mysteries we see of uh, of, of Christ's nature. 
Mm-hmm. And we have to be careful with the nuances of that because you can go into different heresies if you take that too far in different directions, which I think is what you were getting ready to say. <laughs> yeah, man, because boy, boy, you could go a long ways with that one. Yeah. Yeah, you're playing on a whole different baseball field at that point. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, but and, and, and then the world of what we were talking about before the podcast, the Lagos principle, the the divine Christ before as he existed before, um, and that's why John talks about the Lagos was with God, the Lagos was God, and in verse fourteen of chapter one, the Lagos became flesh and dwelt among us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there are some mysteries with Christ and with God. That can be mysteries and left there. Absolutely. And I think that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what biblical evidence do we have that Jesus was born by a virgin? Well, Curtis, do you have a Bible with you? I may have you read some passages of Scripture. And if you don't, I I have... Yeah. Okay, so yep. let's let's first go to Matthew one, eighteen through twenty, and I'll have you read that for us. Okay. Mine's gonna be out of the ESV. Um that's just because that's the Bible I had sitting here on my desk. Um Matthew one uh eighteen through twenty five. We'll go ahead and start there. It says and the actually heading you can, says the, you, actually you can end at twenty three because we just read twenty four and twenty five, so does Okay. Well, it says the heading here, the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But and this was after they were engaged. Okay, can, can we just interject here? Notice they were betrothed, and when he's talking, you know, betrothal yep. in ancient times had the same had the same impact of being married already. You just hadn't gone through. So that's what he talks about: deciding to divorce her secretly. They were already betrothed. They, it was almost as if they were on in a premarital contract, so it was binding right. already. And so he was going to put right. her away to divorce her, but that's not what happened. Go ahead. I'm sorry. And and to and to divorce her. Um, loudly publicly would have defamed her to a point that she would have been um, destitute forever. Yeah, and possibly even possibly even stoned to death. There you go. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, verse twenty. But as he considered these things, behold, when the Bible says "behold," we pause, take a take a listen. An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, "Joseph." Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which she which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoke by the prophet. So we see he quotes Isaiah seven fourteen there as well, and we'll come back to Isaiah seven fourteen. But notice here, uh, notice, and, and then of course we talked about we already spoke about verses twenty four and twenty five because he married her, did not have sexual relations with relations with her, and we noticed that uh, she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. She had not had 
relations with any man, and I think there were there were signs uh, to show that that she had in fact been a virgin uh, up until this point. So this is the first this is the first evidence we have, proof text we have that G, that uh, Mary was indeed a virgin and had remained a virgin until she gave birth to Christ. So let's take a look at Luke twenty one twenty six through thirty eight. We okay. may not read the whole thing there, but let's take a look at Luke one uh, twenty six. I really want Lioness to be sit, to be preaching this. <laughs> Got the blue blanket. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, from from the peanuts. <laughs> uh, man, hey, you can't beat peanuts. Life was simpler back then. You know what I'm saying? It was. It wasn't so daggum controversial. <laughs> um, Luke one, uh, verses twenty six through thirty eight. In the sixth month. The angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph and the house of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at this at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. I bet so. Mm-hmm. And the, and the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be, since I am a virgin? And some some scripture says, I have not known a man. Mm-hmm. And, this, and CSB says, uh, since uh, I have had not had sexual relations with a man. Mm-hmm. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy. The Son of God. All right, let's, let's, go ahead and, let's go ahead and pause right there because I think we have enough evidence already. There's, there's a few mm-hmm. things I want to point out here. Um, let, let's go back up to... Um, uh, okay, let's see here. Uh, so you found favor with God. That's verse 30. Now listen, you'll conceive and give birth to a son. Name him Jesus. Uh, where is that word I'm looking for? Mary asked, okay, here in verse 34, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Okay, the word there is gnosko, figurative extension of meaning of, 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 uh, of, of the term, meaning to have sexual intercourse with a person. She says explicitly, I have not had sexual intercourse with with a, a person at this time. Okay, and so we go back to... Um, just lost my passage of Scripture there. Uh, let's go back to verse 27. Okay, verse 27. Let's see if this holds. I'm trying to pull this up on my software here. Notice it says the virgin's name was Mary. That word in Greek is parthenos. And Parthenos explicitly references a female person beyond puberty, but not yet married, and a virgin. 
Okay, so this is describing a certain individual who was a virgin, had never had sexual intercourse with an individual. So this is pretty explicit in what it says. Uh, so Matthew 1, 18 is, is, uh, lets us know, but I would even say Luke 1, 26 through 38 is even more explicit as to the, uh, the, the nature of, of Mary's virginity up until the point of Jesus' birth. Now, let's take a look at, now we noticed this was already quoted already. Let's take a look at Isaiah 7, 14. This is the Old Testament passage of Scripture that was quoted. We won't spend a lot of time on this because we actually covered this in a previous podcast. But let's go ahead and read this uh, at this time. Okay. So, Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and she shall, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Okay, so the important thing here is there's a lot of controversy concerning this word Alma uh, in Hebrew, which means young woman. And uh, the uh, what was the RSV? I think years ago they translated it young woman, and man, there was an uproar because it was understood to be a virgin. Well, it just so happens the word Alma means in Hebrew the same thing essentially that Parthenos means. Maybe not as explicit, but it's talking about a young woman of marital age and, and uh, who had not yet married, and so the generalized understanding would be that that woman was a virgin. So here again, it may not be as explicit as Luke 1, but it is pointing to a, uh, a miraculous, uh, it is at least hinting at a miraculous conception. Now, there's, there's another point I'd want to make here. Um, talking about biblical evidence that we have that Jesus was born of a virgin. So these passages we've read thus far have, have described pretty explicit means, uh, at least in Luke and Matthew, that, that Mary was a virgin. But here's another thing to remember. Let's read Acts 1.14. And, and I want to bring up a point about this. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. Um, it says, all these were with one accord, were devoting the, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Okay, so let's put this in the backdrop. What are we talking about here? In verse 12, they, they had just seen Jesus ascended to heaven. Uh, this was on the Mount of Olives. They returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem. This is a Sabbath day journey away. And when they arrived, they were met with all these individuals, Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the, Ze- the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And and this goes into the passage of Scripture you just read, including Mary, the mother of Jesus. The early church, from the time of the resurrection up to just coming out of the gates, we see Mary, the mother of Jesus, was actively involved in the early church. So she could have easily told the early church. In fact, I, I am assured of the fact yeah. that she told the early church about her experiences uh, with seeing the angel, her experiences with the birth of Jesus, as any yeah. mother would do. Uh, but especially due to the nature of of her son's birth, she would especially have especially let everyone know. And I think it's in Luke's gospel, if I'm not mistaken, where it was talking about how Mary pondered these things in her heart. 
Yeah. Well, how yeah. would the gospel writer treasure. know that he she pondered or treasured these things in her heart unless Mary had told them? So these are pointers indicating that there was some probably some biographical information given to the early writers of Scripture, even coming out of the gate. Yeah. And, yeah. It's it's really hard to it's really hard to once you start compiling these these scriptures together, it's really hard to to deny that Jesus had a miraculous birth. Oh sure. Well, and, it, it, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's even it's even it's even closer now to to not just a miraculous birth, but a virgin gave birth to Christ. Yeah, and so some some skeptics will say, well, why do we only hear about this in, in Matthew and Luke? Well, John seems to allude to it in yeah. uh, in John chapter 1 about the Lagos became flesh. He doesn't explicitly say it was a virgin birth, but he alludes to it. And John would have already known what the other Gospels have said on that, so... You know, church tradition says that he was adding things that uh, the other gospels hadn't hadn't uh, spoken of. But also consider this: Mary remained part of the early church. James, the brother of Jesus, was also a leading role, uh, a leading member of the church yeah. up until the '60s. I think it's Josephus yeah. who tells us that James, the brother of Jesus, died a martyr's death by being thrown off the Temple Mount and then being beaten to death with clubs. Uh, he never recanted seeing his brother, whom he did not believe in during the earthly ministry of Jesus, that yeah. he had seen his yeah. brother risen from the dead, ascended to heaven. You also see a reference in Mark 6, 3. How about reading that for us, if you will? Mark 6, 3 yep. for us. Yeah, so Mark 6, 3, it says in here, Is not this the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James and, and Joseph? Or Joseph and Judas and Simeon. Now and are not, <clears throat> excuse me and are not his sisters here with us? <laughs> okay, so we're going to come back to this passage of scripture here in a moment with another question we have here. But notice what it said. Isn't this the carpenter? Who mm-hmm. did it say he was the son of? Joseph. Actually, look look at the text again. Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary? Sorry, I know yeah. no problem. You brought what would normally be assumed to be the answer, the son of Joseph, right. but they didn't exactly. say Joseph. This right. means that there was a little bit of um, even in this time. A little bit of slander towards the birth of Jesus because they knew that there were some really, really um, interesting, uh, unusual things about the way Jesus was born. So this was kind of a slanderous way to refer to Jesus being the son of Mary rather than the son of Joseph. So this alludes to the point that there was something that happened with Jesus' birth that was out of the ordinary, that wasn't the status quo. And this is even picked up by the authorities whenever they debate Jesus in John eight forty one. Uh, would you mind reading eight forty one for us, John eight forty one? Yeah, it's probably some of my best my best stories. I love this part in, in here. Yeah, this is kind of like a, the defense of when also the defense to to I could I want to point out here 
when people say that Jesus never claimed to be God, this this section of scripture all the way through here in John eight, the, there's there, they the the rabbis and the or the uh, um, the Jewish elites that were actually what what do they call them the Judaizers of that time period, they 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 knew what Jesus was saying here, and they picked up stones to stone him. And why would they pick up stones to stone him? If he was just claiming something off the wall, not claiming to be God, mm-hmm. they seen it as blasphemy. So, oh, yeah, just something that just something to categorize in your head when you're thinking about this. So, um, verse forty-one. Actually, I tell you what to, to get to catch the whole glimpse of this. Go back to verse thirty-nine, so we can put this in kind okay. of context. Yeah. <laughs> they answered him, "Abraham is our father." Jesus said to them. If you were Abraham's children, you would you would be doing the works of Abraham, that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. <laughs> this is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works of your works your father did. So put that in your they pipe and smoke him. it. Jesus said, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They said to him. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one Father, even God. Now Jesus said to them, <laughs> so, 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 "Some people, some people would say in verse forty-one, and that's what we're look, really looking at. We weren't born of sexual immorality. Now, yes, they were talking to a degree of uh, of, of not being illegitimate children of of Abraham, but." There's some scholars who believe that that may have itself been a slander back towards the birth of Jesus, sure. pointing yep. to the, again about there being a little bit of mystery, a little bit of, a little bit of, um, controversy around controversy. It. That's a good word. A little bit of controversy around the birth of Jesus. So they were using it in a very mm-hmm. slanderous, spiteful way whenever they said that. So almost kind of like almost kind of like they have a. They have a card in their pocket, and whenever they get a chance to use it, they want to use that specific card. Or there's exactly, or there is a uh, there's a term in, that we use in modern day logic called the ad hominem against the man. So instead of uh, dealing with what Jesus is saying, they're throwing an insult his way. People haven't changed in 2,000 years. They did the same thing then. <laughs> They're throwing insults his way instead of dealing with the very issue that he's talking about. Now, some people would say, now, some people would say, well, isn't Jesus being a little slanderous? No. He was calling them to repentance. And he was saying that you say you're the children of Abraham. Well, if you're really truly the children of Abraham, then do what Abraham would do. Seek after righteousness. Pursue holiness. That's what he's calling them toward, but... Mm-hmm. Obviously, conviction hurts. <laughs> mm. Sometimes, yeah. Mm. <laughs> so then, so then, do we have evidence uh, from the early church tradition that Jesus was believed to have been conceived by a virgin? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, we do. There's um, two points of reference we can make. Um, in fact, there may be many others, but as I was looking through uh, Miller Erickson's uh, Christian Theology book, he, he points out two things that I'd like to bring up uh, in our podcast today. First of all, uh, the beginning point is the Apostles' Creed. Now, um, 
In the Apostles' Creed, it says, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Virgin Mary. Uh, so, so notice it was pointing to the virgin birth of Christ even at the, at the Apostles' Creed. Now, the Apostles' Creed was formalized uh, in, in the 5th or 6th century A.D., However, the roots actually go back to an old Roman baptismal confession, which actually includes that point that point there as well. And that early baptismal confession may actually be um, toward the first century. Uh, we we know that it's uh, at least the middle of the second century, but the early form was already in use. Um, Tertullian in North Africa and Irenaeus in Gaul and Asia Minor used these. So the, the, the doctrine of the virgin birth was part of a very early confessional that was adopted into the modern-day Apostles' Creed that we have now. Mm. So again, the modern yes. Apostles' Creed we have comes back from the old Roman Creed, which dates even back to the first century. Yeah, which even portions of it or pieces of it could even be further back than that kind of getting into some 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 groundwork there that that you know paul put together you know an understanding of it he would have had to he would have had to have known it obviously before you know and and had it in his head before before they wrote it all down so this would have been even earlier than that and and so yeah well so we, we know early creedal material exists the philippians hymn colossians uh the colossians what was it chapter one um mm-hmm. the exaltation of christ romans 10 9 one uh there are other oral uh, traditions i think that we could point to as being earlier than the texts that were written um so yeah it's definitely there so could an old roman uh apostles creed been part of the the stuff that uh, Paul learned very possible uh, we, we know that, that there are um, that there are good reasons for believing at least that it dates to the second century but it seems to be in, uh, have been it seems to have been transmitted and in circulation even back in the first century so yeah I think there are good reasons to believe that it had its roots in very early Christianity for sure yeah. There's actually a second thing that we can talk about here as well, and that's the writings of Ignatius of Antioch, who died in 117 A.D. So we're talking early material here. Yeah. And so in his book called To the Ephesians, uh, this is in chapter 18, section 18 and verse 19, uh, he says in verse 18, he says, My spirit is made an offscurring for the cross, which is a stumbling block to them that are unbelievers, but to us salvation and life eternal. Where is the wise? Where is the disputer? Where is the boasting of them which that are called prudent? Now, so here, here's what we're really focused on now, starting here. For our God, Jesus the Christ, now notice there what he did. For our God, Jesus the Christ, was conceived in the womb by Mary, according to a dispensation of the seed of David, but also of the Holy Ghost. And he was born and was baptized, that by his passion we he might cleanse water. Now, in portion 19, he starts off by saying, And hidden from the prince of this world were the virginity of Mary and her childbearing, and likewise also the death of the Lord. Three mysteries to be cried aloud, which were wrought in the silence of God. So, 
there again, the virgin birth was held very early on. And again, this was written prior to 117 AD because Ignatius died in 117, but there's a good chance this could be late first century, what we just read. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, that's crazy. So I'm going to get into number four here, um, the question number four, and it's objection number one. Yeah, so we're going to look at three objections. Uh, right. We've got a question in between them, but we've got three objections that people often throw. So, do we have scientific evidence that virgin births are even possible? Curtis, I, I took a biology class in college, and I was floored by a passage that I read in a biology textbook, not a Christian book. This is a biology textbook that talks about a thing that happens in nature it's not common it's a rarity but it has been noted to happen called parthenogenesis genesis meaning origins or beginnings and parthenos meaning we've already talked about it virgin this happens in in different animals it has happened in sharks it's happened in frogs it's happened in turtles and it's even happened in some uh, mammals i think i remember hearing it happened in dolphins if i'm not mistaken now the only the only thing about this that is uh, odd because here again you know the chromosomes males have an x chromosome and a y chromosome females have two x chromosomes the thing about in natural parthenogenesis type of occurrences is that the offspring is always a female because you have the two X chromosomes. So this would have been miraculous in what happened to Jesus because as far as we know, this is the only occurrence in, in human beings that this has ever happened. But for someone to throw scientific object, objection to say such things are impossible to happen... Well, you may want to check your biology textbook because these things actually have happened in nature. Now, were they endued and endued with the Holy Spirit when these things happened? No, of course not. We don't have holy dolphins swimming around, um, or anything. <laughs> you know, holy sharks. Might be talking about Miami fans there, though, buddy. <laughs> well, they weren't too holy this year. So. <laughs> yeah, there's holes in their plays all over the place. That's the problem. <laughs> But but what we would do want to see in this instance is that it's no longer possible for someone who actually studies science to say that uh, that this is physically impossible, improbable. Oh, absolutely! You don't see this happen every day, and yeah, there are still some issues there with Jesus. He's born a male. That doesn't even happen with you know parthenogenesis that happen in nature. But still. You can't say that it's impossible for such a thing to happen. Improbable, yes. Impossible, no. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, here, here again, th- this, this goes into, you know, the supernatural side of things, um, which Christians don't have a problem and, and you know, don't have a problem in, in believing that, that supernatural things. Because... How does Frank Turek say it? Um, He says the virgin birth, well, that's an easy miracle. When you consider the very first miracle that was given was in the beginning. In the beginning, God created everything. (laughs) And if God can create the whole cosmos from nothing, 
yeah. then then yeah, a virgin birth is a piece of cake. Could Jesus? Could God have when Mary was born and planted a seed in her, and then 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 later? I don't know. Uh, or was it when the Holy Spirit came upon her that that it, by ex nihilo that He created this the seed and the egg and and united them together to and then gave it the X and Y chromosome? I don't know. There is some mystery to this, but to say that it's impossible for 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 for, for a person to say it's scientifically impossible for it to happen. That's no longer the case. You know, you can't make that argument. Now, yeah, we know God can do anything within His realm of His own nature um, because the Bible itself tells us there are certain things God can't do. God can't lie in Titus 1 2. It's impossible for God to lie because He's the absolute truth. Um, but, yes, uh, I, again, I, I think science, if you're going to use science as a means to discredit the virgin birth, I don't think you can any longer do that. Uh, because of what we find in, in in nature, right, right, exactly. So, question number five: According to Catholic tradition, Mary remained a virgin, called perpetual virginity. Do we have scriptural evidence that this is true? Now, Catholic friends, don't throw stones at me, uh, but uh, they, we they can't. They won't hit you anyway. <laughs> And Curtis, correct me if I'm wrong. You grew up in a Catholic church, so don't throw anything at me either. But well, no, 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 no. These are these are the these are the things that I went, huh? You're what? So <laughs> what about his brothers? So, contrary to Catholic doctrine, we do see that Jesus had brothers and sisters. So, did Mary remain a virgin? No, because Joseph. Joseph and James and the brothers and sisters of Jesus, they were not born a virgin birth. They were born by natural right. means. So let's take right. a look at a couple, a few passages of Scripture. Uh, did Jesus have brothers and sisters? How about reading Matthew twelve forty six for us? All right. Matthew. I got my Bible on the wrong side. Matthew, what? See, twelve forty six. And if you apologize for that, oh, that's no problem. I tell you what, I'll go ahead and get this one. It just pulled up here. Um, I got it right here. Oh, do you? okay. Go for it. Yeah. Matthew twelve forty six. The heading says Jesus's mother and brothers. <laughs> While he while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brother stood outside asking to speak to him. <laughs> they they were saying that he kind of lost his rocker and they needed to go in and rescue him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but but he <laughs> but he replied to to the man who told him, "Who is my mother and my brother? <laughs> who are my brothers?" And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, "Here are my mother and my brothers." For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So what you just read is repeated in Luke eight nineteen and also Mark three thirty one. So there are there are three passages of scripture there that we that we see that tells us that uh, Jesus had uh, brothers and, and brothers. Let's take a look about his sisters. Matthew thirteen fifty six. How about that one for us? Mm hmm. Oh, it's on the other. Oh, there it is. 
and uh, Matthew uh, thirteen fifty six, and are not all his sisters with us? Where then did his mo- where then did this man get all these things? So, and also in John 7, after this, Jesus traveled in Galilee since he did not want to travel in Judea because the Jews were trying to kill him. The Jewish uh, festival of shelters was near. Uh, So his brother said to him, leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples can see your works that you're doing. So for no one does in secret uh, what he's trying to seek public recognition. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Jesus said, my time has not yet arrived, but your time is always at hand. The world cannot hate you because it, but does hate me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Go up to the festival yourselves. I'm not going up to the festival because my time has not come. And then in verse 10, and his brothers had gone up to the festival. And uh, then he also went up, not openly but secretly. And I was thinking it had something about his sisters, but with the passage of scripture you just read, uh, we see that right. Jesus had both brothers and sisters. So biblically speaking. Uh, we we cannot hold that G, that uh, Mary remained a virgin uh, throughout her life uh, because Jesus right. did have brothers and sisters after the fact. Right. And not that I want to start a controversy, but if those would just read the scripture and not go off of the recorded teachings of the big the church the doctrines of the church, we would see and be able to understand as we read the scriptures, we would have that in our head and we would be able to go, wait a minute. What, what did, what did you just say? So. Absolutely. So, um, objection two, uh, uh, number two, is the virgin birth of Jesus just a retelling of pagan myths which held that their heroes were born by virgins. Yeah, so this is often uh, an objection that's given right around the time of Christmas, and it's often posted fancy memes. Yeah, Horace is one, and and you'll see different ones where it talks about the comparisons between uh, Jesus and the virgin birth and these other gods. Uh, so, for instance, uh, you also have the the notion of Zeus begetting Hercules, Perseus, and Alexander by by uh, by virgin birth, so to speak. Apollos begetting Ion, Asclepius, uh, Pythagoras, Plato, and Augustus, all by the same means. Uh, but the key distinction between these pagan myths and the birth of Jesus is that the pagan myths were not necessarily a virgin conception. They they included this god, whether it be Zeus or uh, another god or whatever the case may be, coming down and having physical relations with a human Mm -hmm. woman. Uh, so it wasn't as if it's not the same thing. Uh, there was the the understanding that these deities would come down and 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 have relations uh, with these women, and they would bear the deities' children. So again, this this is worlds of difference between uh, what you find in pagan myths to what you find in the virgin birth of Christ. Also. The problem with this theory is that there's no substantive evidence that Judaism espoused a belief in such things, and in fact, they uh, wholeheartedly abhorred any pagan ideas. 
And so, um, as, as Millard Erickson says, it appears that the theory has been constructed on the presupposition that virgin birth is a pagan idea and that since it would have uh, not have been accepted early, it must, not have, must have come to Christianity uh, through Judaism. Therefore, it is assumed that such a belief must have, have, have existed within Judaism. Uh, this was not an, an idea that was uh, thoroughly found in Judaism, and they certainly wouldn't have adopted it from paganism. Uh, this is something that uh, really um, we find uh, was a unique thing that happened. Now, we see it in fulfillment of Isaiah 7, uh, but it wasn't something that was readily um, seen to occur. Uh, this was a miraculous thing that, that God did in the life of Mary. Yeah, and didn't didn't some of these didn't some of these um, you could say myths um, that follow it didn't they come after didn't some of these beliefs come after the 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 story of the virgin birth came out? Yeah, I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, I don't know the exact date because I don't have it with me right now, but I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of these ideas came afterwards. I'm not sure about the Zeus myth, but again. The, the Horus myth, the the many of these other myths came far after the time of Jesus. Um, the Zeus myth, I'm not sure the dating on it either. But again, it's apples and oranges if you compare the whole yep. notion of what happened with Zeus and uh, Hercules and these different uh, deities, uh, these human divine beings. Because here again, the the God came and impregnated the woman, uh, the human woman. Uh, but a lot of the a lot of the things that are often parallel with Christianity uh, often come far after the time of Christ, and it and it seems like rather than Christianity borrowing from the pagan ideas, the pagan ideas actually borrowed from Christianity and made it their own. Right. So it's right. it's in reverse. Yeah, and you got in the early parts of the scriptures um, in Genesis in the beginning part. Um, I want to say it was somewhere around four or five, somewhere in there, um, talking about, um, the sons of God came and, um, had relations with, with the women. And Nephilim, I believe. humans. It was the Nephilim. Nephilim. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that, that'll take us down a whole nother big rabbit trail. (laughs) Discussing yep. that that issue, uh, that that would be make for another good podcast uh, at another time. But good uh, interview with Doctor Michael Heiser. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, he. Well, obviously, we want to keep him in our prayers. We know he's a. Uh, yeah, for sure. He's not been doing good with his cancer treatments um, here lately, but uh, we want to continue to remember him. Hopefully, it'll be where we can have him on. Yep. So, uh, objection three: Is the virgin birth incompatible? with the pre-existence of Christ. See, this was a new one to me. And I have, I've read through um, I've read through Millard Erickson, and I, I was looking through some theology textbooks and, and as I was preparing for this uh, podcast, and I came across this objection that Wolfhart Pannenberg made. He made this in his book called Jesus, God, and Man. And um, he Jesus, he says, existed in the eternal past as divine. Um, he thought as a divine... In, in his past state, so he didn't see how a virgin birth could happen in the way in which it was because he saw a controversy between the past pre-existence of Jesus and the way Jesus was born um, in, in, the, in the modern, in, in the way he was born um, as it's described in the Gospels. There's no, there's no reason to believe that the Lagos was 
necessarily physical before being incarnate because in John chapter 1, and we don't want to advocate Apollinarianism. We've already identified it as a, as a heresy. But you know, John tells us that in the beginning was the Logos, the Word was with God, the Word was God. And then in verse 14 of the same chapter, the Logos became flesh. So it was at that time when he was born that he emerged the divine nature of Jesus uh, which Jesus is is in the fullness the same throughout all history, but he did take on flesh at that moment of the incarnation. So there is, in a sense, a new element that's added at that time, uh, but the being, the essence, the individual is the same throughout all history. So there's a lot more we could talk about going into that, and I don't know that I've answered it sufficiently, but we'll have to leave that there. That might be an issue we may want to pick up a little bit later to uh, go through. So let's just, I, don't, I want to move on to the last question, but before we do that, I want to ask, so in the Christophanies in the Old Testament, when we had seen the interaction, was that, was that the Jesus that mary raised was that the jesus that the disciples would have learned from i think so now there are some old testament scholars and 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 some i I know very well who 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 would argue with that fact but i think they were i think when you have instances of the angel of the lord the uh Right. Uh, Melech, I believe it is in Hebrew. I believe yeah. that's right. Uh, the Melech Yahweh, uh, the the messenger of of Yahweh, and you see the iterations of of this uh, Christophany, uh, this uh, this this human representation of Yahweh. Uh, it seems to me like this definitely would be Christ before he was born. Because we know in orthodoxy that, that well, for instance, in, in the triune nature of God, we know that uh, God is Father, God is Son, God is Holy Spirit, but the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit, and the Spirit is not the Father. So we know that they, uh, that they exist eternally as three yet in one, one God, three persons. So if that's true, then Christ before he was born a virgin birth, had to exist for all eternity because he was God. So there was Yahweh, the Father, there was Yeshua, the, the Son, and there was the, um, I can't remember how you say it in Hebrew, but the Tahagias in uh, Greek, the Spirit of Holiness, or, or the Holy Spirit of God. A ruach, um, ruach uh, the Ruach, the Spirit. Let me just leave it there. Hmm. Or you could say the Ruach Ta, uh, well, that's Tao is Greek, but we'll just say that, we'll just leave it there. The Ruach Ta Yahweh, the, or, or Ha Yahweh, the, uh, the spirit of, of Yahweh. So anyhow, the three, the three exist uh, from all eternity. So then the last question, why is the virgin birth important for our understanding of the incarnation of Christ? This is there's several reasons we can mention. I'm going to mention some that Erickson listed. I'm going to mention some that's individual to my, my to myself. Uh, I, I'd listed five things when preparing the notes for the podcast. One I think is critical uh, to the atoning work of Christ to understand mm-hmm. that God uh, 
came down and assumed the form of, of humanity to take to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And Curtis, this is one of the reasons why I, I like dispensa- the, the uh, progressive dispensational ver- version, uh, although the regular dispensation, you know, they, they have something similar to this. Uh, covenantal theology, I can't really quite go with that because they dismiss uh, God's working in the nation of Israel later on. Uh, but if you're a covenantal theologian, I still love you anyhow. Uh, but nonetheless... One thing we find as we look back through the different covenants of times past and how God dealt with humanity, He gave individuals the opportunity through the Noahic covenant, the Mosaic covenant, uh, the Davidic covenant. He gave all these things as if you do this, you know, just just do your part, I will do my part. And every single time we failed as humanity, as human beings, we failed. So God came. And establish the new covenant, the covenant discussed in Jeremiah, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He made the sacrifice himself, a once for all sacrifice, as mentioned in the book of Zechariah, so that those who would trust themselves to Jesus would be saved. The work was done by Jesus. So to understand the atonement, I think we have to have a good understanding of the incarnation. Without the virgin birth, there would have been no union of God and humanity. Now, God could have made him made a, a human body, and he entered into it that way, but he chose to go about the way he did. And so the virgin birth helps us to understand the unity we find um, in, in, God's, in, in the Son's humanity and divinity. The virgin birth points us to the reality of Christ being Emmanuel, as mentioned in the Old Testament, God with us. Number four, the virgin birth reminds us of the supernatural work of divine grace. Even though we spoke of, and you, you mentioned this earlier, Curtis, even though we understand that it's not impossible for a virgin birth to occur, we still understand that there was, some, there was a supernatural element to this, that God did a special work even by, again, we mentioned that parthenogenesis happen in nature, but they are always, the offspring are always female. God did a special work to make a virgin birth in a human being, which has never happened before, and to make that person male, which doesn't happen in nature, and to also bestow himself in that human body. That is a supernatural work, and it also speaks to the supernatural work of divine grace that is wrought out in our own lives as we respond to the Holy Spirit of God into salvation. And then lastly, the virgin birth also points us to the unique nature of Jesus' incarnation. And I think if we are honest, as we have been talking about the human, the union of, of Jesus' uh, human divine nature, there is still a lot of mystery involved mm. in his nature. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of mystery involved in the triune nature of God, but that points us to the uniqueness of of Christ's identity, and the uniqueness of God's identity. Now, there's a growing trend that's happening in modern times where people want to assume that they are little gods in the sense, I'm not talking about what Heiser's talking about, I'm talking about that, that people are self-sustaining, that they're on their own gods in this new age type of mentality. Well, what this should show us in the virgin birth, the incarnation of Christ, is that Jesus is a one-of-a-kind, and it took God taking on flesh, 
doing for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, to bring about salvation to us. He did a work that we could not do so that we could come to Him, responding to His grace. He'd do His transformational work in our lives so that we could spend eternity with Him, not because of our own good works, but because of His divine grace. Hmm. Uh, one one thing that I had kind of thought of while we were while we were going through those last last five statements that you had f- five points that you had, I also thought to myself when when we look at John one and he talks about God came and, and tabernacled with us, came to be with us and tabernacled with us. That is a that is God. Taking a taking the taking the time to have a personal relationship with his creation through the relationship he also suffered what we should have suffered. Absolutely. This this is a point where we as <clears throat> apologists and preachers and teachers should take the time to focus on this point that God came to be with us. He took the time to to be relational with us, to to be in our sufferings, to understand our sicknesses, to understand our worries and cares and our and our our day to days, um, our laughter, our our crying. These things, the stubbing of his toe. The, the I mean, just any of these things, if we think about this, he would have been human to share in those human characteristics to then later take all of that and put it on the cross. Amen. Yeah. And that shows you the, the level that God was willing to go to 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 uh, to save us. It shows you the level yeah. that he was willing to endure himself. In and through himself to bear our sins upon his back so that we could have life in and through him. Tr- right. Truly, as the scriptures say, I believe it's what is it, the book of Hebrews that says that Jesus is truly the author and finisher of our faith. Yeah. Yeah. And it says he came to bear our infirmities. So, mm. yeah. Powerful stuff when we really think about it. And, and, um, stuff that should bring joy to our hearts once we start understanding the incarnation of Christ and and we understand this virgin birth as as the important base or the important uh, groundwork that that he laid out for us to to be part of so we here at Bellator Christi want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie Podcast, and until next time, Brian and I say, hold your own, friends. You've been listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. 
The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Lutheran Satire presents Donald and Connell Take on Horus. Behold, it is I, Horus, Egyptian god of the sun. And while you were busy indoctrinating these idiots with your medieval mumbo-jumbo, I, Horus, was busy discovering a very ancient Egyptian scroll that will most assuredly unveil the heights of your hypocrisy and send your silly little Jesus cult crashing to the ground. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this atheism thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. My name is Horus. Ah, quit your stalling, Patrick. Yeah, cut the jibber-jabber and save our souls already, Patrick. And while you all believe that you've been celebrating the birth of your Lord Jesus, you've really been celebrating the birth of me. For you see, thousands of years before your Jesus came around, I, Horus, was born on December 25th. I, Horus, was born of a virgin. I, Horus, was baptized by a man called Arnold the Baptizer, was crucified and was resurrected three days later. So you see, your Jesus is nothing more than plagiarized poppycock. And I, Horus, have come to feast upon the sorrow of you foolish Christians. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the church catholic come on patrick yeah get it together patrick this is absurd if this is really what christians believe then give me one good reason why i've never heard any of this before ed i think i'm onto your little trick here patrick yeah you're a sneaky little secularist not really while you were talking i was silently composing the horus theme song in my head Could you hum a few bars of this legendary composition for us, Patrick? Yeah, Patrick, give us the iTunes sample. If you're not so cotton and porous, then you super super porous. If you're not so cotton and porous, go away, you stink. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm gonna stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. I don't understand. If all the things that Gerald Massey said about me were complete fabrications, with no textual evidence whatsoever, why do atheists like Bill Maher reference these claims as if they were true? Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit beating around the bush, Patrick. I never even thought about that. <laughs> Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations or essential human equality or basic human rights?
We aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor. In the process, we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality. In June of 2022, we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics, a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument, a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, moralapologetics.com.